We have just a little Bible story that I think all of us children, growing up children, old children, and young children as well, need to know what today is. We in Christendom um, call this Palm Sunday, but it has a much deeper meaning than that and goes way farther back. And so I just want to be really quick here. But in God's covenant with his people back in the land of Egypt, he said to Moses and Aaron, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households a lamb for each household. And then on the 14th day, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly, the congregation of Israel, is to kill it at twilight. I'm not going to take time now, and I've done this before, so those of you who've been here have heard me share this before. But if you want to look and check it out, the 10th day before Passover was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It was choosing the Lamb day. And God the Father was saying, this is my Lamb. I'm giving him for you. And we celebrate every day of our Christian lives. But it's good to remember, isn't it, what God's real meanings are. So, Hosanna. Okay, who knows what that means? Save us. Save us. Some people think it's equivalent to hallelujah, but it's entirely a different word than that. It is, Lord, you save us. We are in need of your saving. That's what they were shouting. And the rulers of the temple said, tell your people to be quiet. Basically said, shut them up. Don't let them say this. And that, we think, would demand a response from the Lamb of God, the Chosen One. And what did he reply? If they don't praise me, if they don't look to me, even these stones, the stones that were making the wall of Jerusalem, made the temple and the things around it, they will cry out. And sure enough, in a matter of a few decades, those stones cried out. For it was the Savior that had come to Jerusalem to end forever the sacrifice, the sacrifices in the temple. Do you realize that? The Jews have not performed sacrifices ever since that day. Incredible that this was an epic. That day, this day, is what the psalmist says in Psalm 118. that says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's when the recognized Savior of the world, all of Scripture, was looking forward to his coming, entering Jerusalem. And they refused him. And he was hung on a cross as the sacrificed lamb, the chosen one, 
That's what Messiah means. And he became our Savior. That's why we gather together here on the first day of the week, just like disciples ever since then, gathered to fellowship together and enjoy being together. That's what Sunday means. That's what it means for us to gather together here. Why? We recognize our Messiah has come. He was raised from the dead on Sunday morning. And that's what we commemorate. You know, Christmas and days like that, those shouldn't be the celebrated days. It should be resurrection morning. And every Sunday for the church of Jesus Christ is resurrection day. That's what we commemorate. Praise the Lord. That's what makes us different. There's a factor in our lives that set us apart as somewhat a peculiar people. That's what the Bible calls us, peculiar. Yeah, we are, aren't we? Have you ever looked in your mirror? Yeah, we're, we're very peculiar. Our ears are too big or our nose is a little crooked or what, what have you, right? Every one of us are unique. There's never been another you ever born in the world. And there never will be. You are unique because of your maker and much more because of your redeemer and what he is making you into. Praise the Lord. So I better get on with my message, otherwise my time's going to be shot. That wasn't my message, by the way. I was doing some uh, scrapbooking this morning, and Katie looked over my shoulder. Honey, what are you doing? We need to get ready for church. Well, I thought, faith comes in a whole lot of different styles and shapes and forms and it just seems to be helter skelter and I thought yeah that really describes faith I mean the Bible's done a very good job the author of Hebrews has done a very excellent job in describing what faith is but even in his description we need to have explanation what does he mean faith is the substance of things not seen the evidence No, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? Anybody with a simple answer? That's why we're taking so long in chapter 11, by the way, is because there's a lot of factors that need to be factored into just those two simple words, by faith. And actually, your faith walk is exactly like mine, except different. Do I have to say it again? Your faith walk in Jesus Christ is exactly the same as mine, except different. It truly is. We, as the called out ones, there's nobody that has had the experiences that I've had. And I wish that you wouldn't ever have those. Well, some of them are pretty good. So uh, yes, maybe I do wish that you had that experience, but I'm not going to bore you with the details of how good it has been to walk 
with Jesus all these years. I just spoil your concept of, well, this is the best thing that would ever happen in my life because yours is so unique, your walk in Jesus Christ. But he's the same Lord Jesus. He's the same Lamb of God that takes away our sins and our faults and those things that only we know and he knows, but nobody else does, of how much he has drawn us to himself and made himself to be our savior, our sacrifice lamb. That is different, but the same. So we're looking to Jesus. He's our model. He's our Lord. He's the one that came as a man, and we want to look at him and discover who he is and what he has done and how we can appropriate it into our lives. But there's other people that we look at. And in chapter 11 and verse 17 to 22, there are especially four followers of Jesus Christ, albeit they really never saw the Messiah, but they knew in their hearts because God had promised and he was faithful and they believed. Let's read. By faith, Abraham... Once he was called Abram, but God joined himself to Abram and said, your name will be different. And God put his name to Abram's name and came out with Abraham, which is Lord Jehovah, Abraham. I am Ramham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. There's a ring there. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. First, we're looking at the faith of Abraham and then of Isaac, and then of Jacob, and lastly, Joseph. I wish we were going to take this one at a time, but we're going to, just as the Hebrews writer wrote, just very succinct statements about them. And you could go through this chapter and these few verses and spend a whole month maybe a year, understanding who these four people were and what their life of faith was all about. It's very, very rich. And I felt like, should I just take it Abraham at a time? No, we've already talked about Abraham, but no, we'll put them together as these four. Usually we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? But 
we often forget Joseph. And I think there's a reason why. And I hope that I'll get to that point when I when we get to number four here. Just hold that in your mind. Abraham's walk of faith. He had remained faithful to the calling of God. Genesis 22.1 says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Tested Abraham. When God made us as men and women and children, he made us in such a way that he wants to do something deep in our lives. And that work that he does is really not just trying to fix us, but he's trying to bring us to a model, to the likeness of his own son. And there's only one way that you can exercise faith. And you might think, well, I want to avoid the bad things and I want to avoid those things that make me feel uneasy. No, that is the walk of faith. If we had it good all the time and our dad was just pouring blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing on us, we'd be so fat and ugly that we wouldn't be able to even walk. And we would be obnoxious. And that is not the loving Father's design for us. He wants us to be strong, virile, able to overcome all kinds of things that are thrown at us. And so we need that testing. We need it more than we know we need it. When he was tested, he was tested for 100 years. You think it's bad when you're being tested in one day. Abraham was tested for 100 years. Some of you don't even understand what 100 years is. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I'm over three quarters there. And you know what? Looking back, There has been blessing after blessing after blessing. Has it been hard? Has it? Yeah. Yeah. We had lots of hard tests. And we haven't got any time at all this morning to talk about that. Other than Abraham himself was tested 100 years. And that promise that God had given to him was consummated when his son, his only son, his only begotten son of his true wife was born. And it spoke of the coming son, the son of God, Jesus Christ. And even at that, when he had received him, God said, give him to me. Go up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. None of us have ever been asked that. But God asked that of Abraham. And he faithfully did it. And as they were going up the mountain, the boys said, Father, we have the fire, we have the wood. Where's the lamb? Abraham could have said, maybe, but I don't think he really knew it. 
He could have said, well, you know, there's going to be a special day on this mountain when the lamb will be riding on a donkey and people will be saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Our Savior has come. That's what was being enacted there thousands of years previous. Or a thousand and a half, I think it is, of years that God was fulfilling that promise. And Abraham was tested. And that was, I think, one of the ultimate tests that Abraham faced. And he was obedient. And God, at the last minute, sent an angel as Abraham's knife was raised over his son. No! Stop. And there was a ram caught in the thicket in the bushes. And God provided for himself. He's providing for himself a sacrifice. But that was for us. Yes, but it was for him before it was for us. Do you understand that? Am I speaking too complicated? That lamb was for a righteous God who was to forgive vile, wicked sinners access to himself. He was to provide that for himself because of his righteousness. We had to be covered. And he provided a lamb, which was a picture of the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. He considered that God is able. Genesis 22.8, God will provide for himself the lamb. That is a message that we need to just stand on the housetops and just declare it. The righteous God has provided a way for us to be his people, to follow him. And we take it so lightly. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And people say, well, what is a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean? When you put your name next to the Messiah, the one that was given, the Lamb of God, what does that mean to you? Do you really sense that when you're out in the world? Maybe you are the one in the office that gets to be isolated because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know. But that's sometimes what we get from the world is they don't understand what it means that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because of what he did on Calvary. Abraham considered that God was able. Considered able to do what? To cleanse my sin. But also considered that resurrection was a process, an idea, a concept from the living God of how to legally and technically make us to be fit for his kingdom and his family. And that had to come through death and resurrection. Resurrection is a whole part of this. And we're coming up to that resurrection day. 
to celebrate it. That is what this is all about. We have, through Abraham, received Jesus Christ, who was resurrected. Never before had there been the full infilling of the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus Christ in us as human beings. We were fallen, we were separated, and he brought us near by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. But the proof was, could God raise him from the dead? Abraham believed it, and he didn't have as much evidence as we have. He believed that if Isaac was killed and sacrificed, that God would be able to raise him from the dead. Whoa, that is powerful faith. Genesis 22:14, Abraham said, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And as I already said, that mountain, and Katie and I believe that in that very spot on that mountain, it is most likely that altar was the spot that they planted the cross of Jesus Christ on Mount Moriah. Think about it. Look it up in your Bible. Read it through. That is the same spot that God had told Abraham to go to and build an altar and sacrifice his son. Don't tell me that the Bible doesn't fit together. Whoa, we, we haven't even discovered yet all the double meanings or the meanings behind what we read in the Bible. We just read through it once a year in our Bible reading program where we just skim over these things and we don't have time to, to check them out. That's why you need to go to Makiko's Old Testament survey class. Why don't you give us a better than a survey class, give us a detail class. It'll take you 10 years. By faith, Isaac, the son that was spared from being killed and was the picture of Jesus Christ. He also was a follower and he also had children. And some of them weren't model children. Isaac also, by faith, blessed Jacob and Esau. The story of Jacob and Esau we spoke about a little more than a year ago, where this guy Jacob, this uh, brother Jacob, stole Esau's birthright because he was the first one born. And as Esau was being born, Jacob had grabbed his foot as a sign of what was going to happen. And that's why he was called Jacob. And eventually he took that firstborn birthright. And then at the very end of Isaac's life, he took the blessing as well. He took the birthright and he took the blessing. And even in these things, Isaac was talking about the future and what these two sons would be like. Esau, by your sword you shall live and your brother you shall serve. And so the firstborn became the enemy of the second child, Jacob. And they were called the Edomites. And God had judgment upon 
the descendants of Esau and blessing on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By faith, Jacob, verse 21, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. This story is wrapped up in the book of Genesis. I would encourage you to, to look at that story. It's a fascinating story of how God led this man, Joseph, who was the is often portrayed as the smart aleck, the, the guy that has all these visions and dreams, and his brothers hated him. You think Jacob had it bad with his brother hating him. Well, Joseph had all of his brothers who hated him. But eventually he became like a savior to them. And God took something that was so bad, you'd think, you can write this kid off. He's done. He's going to become a slave in Egypt. And God's plans, we can't outguess God. He has plans for you and me that we don't even know about yet. And Joseph had all these dreams of stars that were bowing down to his star. Sheaves that were bowing to his sheave of wheat. God was planning all along that this Joseph would be as a savior out of Egypt. Egypt becomes like the world to us. And Jesus came and provided a way out of the world. And Joseph was that for his brothers and his father. You know the story, I'm sure, of how he became not a slave. He became second to the Pharaoh. And in fact, he had more administrative and legislative power than even the Pharaoh did. And for seven years, he set aside all the wheat and grain and produce of Egypt to provide for the years of famine. Amazing, amazing story. As he was dying, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. Well, you're going to say, well, what about Joseph's blessing? You know what Joseph was? He was a giver. He stepped out of the way, but he was second to the Pharaoh. But he didn't let that go to his head. He was a servant to whom? To all of us. And he comes with his sons as Jacob is dying and offers his sons for Jacob's blessing. And Jacob passes it on to him. But there's kind of a curious thing. You know, Jacob was one of these kind of guys. He probably would be a good magician. Katie shaking her head. That's a bad analogy. <laughs> but, you know, Jacob was blind. And the two sons came. And Jacob went like this and put his hands on this one. Joseph said, no, no, Dad. No, no. This is, this is Manasseh. This one's Ephraim. And Jacob says, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, son. And he put his right hand on to the head of Ephraim. And Ephraim became Israel. Jacob's name was turned to Israel, but it was Ephraim that was the tribe that really personified the nation of Israel. And the Spirit of God put that in Jacob's heart. And he put his 
right hand, crossing it over onto Joseph's son, Ephraim. Blessed him and gave a blessing as well to Manasseh and a blessing as well to Joseph. God is abundant and amazing in what he does. I know, my son, I know. And then it says he worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. And Jacob said, please, one last request. Don't bury me in Egypt. Because they'd all gone down to Egypt. Don't bury me here. Bury me back in Canaan. And Joseph did that. By faith, Joseph made mention of the Exodus when he was dying and talked about how they would leave Egypt. And that's what the writer of Hebrews sees here, that he was given a prophetic message. God will surely take care of you, said. And he gave orders concerning his bones. Carry my bones up from here back to Canaan. And when the children of Israel left Egypt in the Exodus, they carried Joseph's bones with them. And they carried them all those days until they got to the promised land. God works these details for us to be assured of what he, in fact, is the God who knows, understands. He knows all about what you and I are going through. And he's able to make those things come to be. That's where our faith comes in. But you know, faith is not something that is just conjured up or built up in us by ourselves. It comes from the promises of God. And we who are believers, we are basing our faith on those promises. So it's not just something that's blowing in the air or some mystical thing. It is actuality. And if God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, surely it's no problem for God to name our names and know where he's taking you and for you to, with all your heart, placing it before the feet of Jesus Christ. Your will be done, not mine. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And to know because you know, because you know, because you know, as you take your steps in life. This is the way God has for me. And some of those next steps for some of us are hard to really let it go and really take that step in faith. But at the end, as we trust in him, he has a wonderful incredible plan for all of us and we believe it we'll stake our lives on it I don't care whether they take my life I can trust him let's pray father these are these are words that strike probably most of us in this room as being hard difficult to understand, but would you, in your loving kindness, by your Holy Spirit and by your word, 
stir these things up in us so we be like your children, that we walk in your ways and we bring glory and honor and praise to you. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.